from the Mercy One Studio. Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Every week, diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good is on the air. I'm Bo Bonner. And I'm Dr. Bud Marr. And we are coming to you live from studio, both of us. I don't know if they can tell, Bud. Maybe you should say your name again so they can tell. Yeah, Dr. Bud Marr in studio. It feels amazing. That's right. The band is back together, as Deacon Tony has been saying. So here we are in Des Moines, Iowa, in Iowa Catholic Radio Studios. Bud and I both working at Mercy College of Health Sciences, where I am Senior Advisor for Mission Initiatives and Spiritual Health, and the Director of the newly formed uh, Center for Human Flourishing. Bud, what do you do at Mercy College? The Academic Dean at Mercy, looking over academic affairs there at the college. So we uh, also are, of course, as always, underwritten by Mercy College of Health Sciences for our show, mchs.edu. Tons of ways that you can get involved and answer the call that we really are seeing people answering, um, not only after the year of 2020, but people seeing the importance of frontline workers and the good work that we do by extending our mission of healing through um, those sort of uh, the, the, the healthcare fields, like I said, mchs.edu, to see ways that you can get involved. Yeah, it's been cool this year, Bo, to see um, the response, I think, from across the country of folks. You know, it reminds me of similar to after 9-11 where more people looked at, um, you know, military service. You've seen a similar type of thing in the medical profession. And so it's great to be at a place like Mercy where we hear those stories on a weekly, monthly basis. That's right. And Bud, uh, learning to do his best um, <laughs> Dean impression. Uh, what was the joke? Because we were making, um, we were going on and on about you and being like deans from movies. But then uh, yeah. my friend Michael Mayans made a joke about what you were supposedly doing that's really Dean-like, but I forgot what it was already. I'd like to say that you threw me under the bus, but I think I myself jumped under the bus because I was saying, you know, the public perception of Deans is from Hollywood, and usually the Dean is the killjoy. Right. <laughs> and then a couple minutes later in the same conversation, I started griping about in college, like the rugby players oh, were, that's were right. these big bullies. Right. So, I mean, I sounded very much like a Dean and talking about, like, those rascals, like, getting into trouble on campus. That's right. You've had, like, a long-standing uh, secret ambition to make sure that there's no shenanigans or hubba blue or uh, some other 1950s words going on on campus. It's like all these stereotypes, and most of my life apparently has been, you know, trying to squash fun. <laughs> but not not on air. We're here to have fun this morning because it's cold out there. So Here on air, we're going to warm you up with shenanigans and hubba baloo. Um, yeah, no, it is very cold. Um, we are consistently reminded every day in Des Moines of how lucky it is to face cold weather with people who are used to facing cold weather. Uh, my folks down in Oklahoma are consistently worried about us, and I'm like, you guys are the ones that we have to worry about, right? They're facing weather that's unprecedented. Even Oklahoma gets it a little more than our friends in Texas, who definitively have houses that are just not made to deal with this, plus all of the sort of um, really bad stuff going on with uh, the power grid and people being in sub-zero weather for multiple hours. Um, so we have to feel blessed. I would say everyone in Iowa, even if you feel chilly this morning, it really is a blessing to have road service, to have uh, the power grid with uh, cold temperatures in mind. We've had a very cold snap in here in Des Moines 
absolutely blessed about how well it's gone, but our heart goes out to all those people who are facing uh, cold weather for the first time. People in Houston dealing with ice, but they just don't know what, I mean, and not just the ice, the profound cold that they're just not ready to deal with down there. Yeah, it's been harrowing to watch from a distance. And like you said, we've we've gone through a tough 12 months, and then to have this unprecedented winter weather on top of like the power grid issues. I saw a photo on Twitter of someone's ceiling fan in their apartment and there were like icicles coming down off of the fan. I, you know, I'm talking to Rachel yesterday. She was saying, you know, as um, she's an engineer and they design restaurants and even in her work, they plan for a certain kind of climate throughout the year. And will, you know, of course, like fit buildings for the normal climate. Well, this is, this is a historic winter weather. And so a lot of folks, and we, you know, we have some friends um, from online who um, face like car accidents or uh, their pipes not being fully prepared for what's been going on. So it's a, it's a tough time and our prayers go out to those, especially in the South. Yeah. Today's Ash Wednesday. So, you know, of course we're already out of the gate saying we're going to try to have fun on Ash Wednesday. It's early enough though, that the fasting hasn't got to us yet. So you know, like if we had a sh- if we had this show at six p.m., it would be a rather grumpy show. But I'm doing okay at, with the blood the blood sugar at ten a.m. Um, but out of the gate, of course, uh, here we are with Lent upon us. And one of the things you do during Lent is almsgiving. And so let me very much encourage you to go online. There are many places, especially in Texas, but throughout the whole sort of corridor of the Southern Plains facing this, where you can send donations uh, to help people who need heat and resources and things like that. So please go online and consider on this Ash Wednesday donating uh, part of your almsgiving for Lent uh, to those people in need. Yeah, that's a good reminder, Bo. And um, I wish you wouldn't have shared, though, with the listeners about it not being too far in the day, because I was going to joke with Mike that we're having him on for the grumpiest show of the year. Well, he's an hour in front of us, so that might already be the tipping point. Maybe he'll be the one yelling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, yeah. you you never know with uh you know I'll be I'll be frank you know as a diabetic you got to be careful with like how you fast but one other thing about living in the very modern world is there's now like an amalgamation of um like 30 drinks you can have that have like a billion um grams of protein in them so I've literally not eaten anything but I think my body is um exuding protein at this point so I think I'm going to be okay yeah, I think I'm going to do the old-style fast day and really try to push through. But I have to say, I, I have been still drinking coffee this morning. I couldn't cut that out today without dire consequences for my family. That's right, or the FCC banning us for yeah. the things that might be said. So this is the Uncommon Good. We'll be back with our fun Linton broadcast. And like you've already hinted at, Mike Aquilina, right after these messages. Stick around. Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr here with the Uncommon Good. <laughs> Well, Bud, now I can like be talking to you when I make these pitches, but if people want to ask you something in studio, I don't even have to relay it to you later, they can use the Zip Whip line. 515-223-1150, 515-223-1150, the Zip Whip line. Your way to reach the studio, Iowa Catholic Radio, and if you want to talk specifically to the show, hashtag UCG for the uncommon good. You can ask us questions, tell us what you, I don't know if we want to do that, but if we want to be like, tell us what you're giving up for Lint, because it might be, um, we might have like evidence that we have to enter into a future court date. So we won't do that. The Zip Whip Live. 515-223-1150. 515-223-1150. 
let us know uh, if you have any ideas, if you want to th- bring up anything to Mike Aquilino, who's going to be talking about St. Joseph, or any questions you have about Lent. This is The Uncommon Good. Bob Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr, back right after this. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio in Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo is provided by Confluence Brewing Company, a local brewery featuring seasonal and limited-release beers located off the bike trail south of Grays Lake and online at confluencebrewery.com. Confluence Brewing Company has growlers to go, apparel, and other gifts for family and friends. Confluence Brewing Company is available for curbside service and would like to thank you for your support. Thank you, Confluence Brewing Company, for your support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Thank you, Farm Bureau agent Cindy Schulte, for underwriting Catholic Women Now. As an authorized independent agent, Cindy's team can provide health insurance options from Wellmark Blue Cross Blue Shield of Iowa. Cindy Schulte at 1315 50th Street in West Des Moines or on the web at cindyschulte.com. 515-226-2111. Cindy and her team know health insurance. Wellmark Blue Cross Blue Shield of Iowa is an independent licensee of the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association. Products available at Farm Bureau Financial Services. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Storm Alert Weather is provided by Divine Treasures. Divine Treasures is a Catholic book and gift store serving the Des Moines community for over 25 years. Their mission is to help Catholics know, love, and keep their faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and His Church. Divine Treasures is where you can find great Catholic books, beautiful Bibles, rosaries, jewelry, statues, and religious gifts for those memorable events in your life. Divine Treasures, 5701 Hickman Road, Des Moines. 515-255-5230. Thank you to Divine Treasures for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Builder Ken Construction. Not going along with the crowd will help you stand out in the crowd. Builder Ken Construction proudly supports Iowa Catholic Radio. Builder Ken Construction is a commercial general contractor providing pre-construction, estimating, and scheduling services through completion of construction. We can build projects ranging from tenant improvements and historical renovations to high-rise buildings. We build confidence. Learn more about the nearly 40 projects in the Des Moines metro area completed by Builder Ken Construction by visiting www.bdconstruct.com. Back with the Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Budmar joining you this chilly Ash Wednesday. We hope for all of you that you had um, an appropriately good time uh, at Mardi Gras, uh, Fat Tuesday, whatever you do um, on Tuesday before Lent uh, starts, and that you have a profitable, holy, and uh, devout Ash Wednesday following into Lent coming up this season. Glad to have you with us on the show and hope everybody's staying warm. But I'm going to let you introduce uh, this uh, Uncommon Good All-Star who's been on the show before, and we're glad to have him back. Yeah, our, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, our guest this morning, uh, many of you will be familiar with his work on EWTN. Mike Aquilina is the author or editor of more than 50 books, five zero, not one five, including The Fathers of the Church, The Mass of the Early Christians, and Angels of God. His work has been translated into many languages. You can find, for instance, his uh, gr- the Grail Code, excuse me, in Hungarian or Portuguese, if that's your <laughs> um, forte. Uh, Mike, thanks for being with us on the show. Hey, thanks for having me back. You guys never learn. <laughs> well, we were listen- We were warning our listeners, you really took one for the team today because this is the grumpiest show of the year, you know, with <laughs> Linton Pennant starting. So we appreciate that. You're an hour ahead of us too, right? Like we're we're still kind of okay, but you're hitting that 11 o'clock <laughs> Right around lunch on Ash Wednesday, so, you know, we understand. We, we, we have a seven-second delay, so I think you're safe. <laughs> if you need to yell, I'm glad you got me covered. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, 
I, I really enjoyed this new book, Mike, St. Joseph and His World, um, published by Scepter Press. Uh, and I know you've filled this question on Facebook. I've seen others ask you. But the first thing we were wondering this morning is, do you have a direct line to the Holy Father? You know, with, this, <laughs> uh, with it being declared um, internationally that this is the year of St. Joseph, that's just some amazing timing for the book to come out um, in conjunction with that. It really was, and uh, it was totally unplanned, of course, because none of us knew that was coming. But uh, the, the Holy Father actually made the announcement the day my book arrived in the warehouse. Mm. So it was perfect timing, and, uh, and the book immediately sold out in its first printing, <laughs> wow. because everybody was totally unprepared for this. You know, we figured it was going to be yet another Catholic press offering that goes out there and, you know, remains in the warehouse for a long time. But we were surprised. That's amazing. That, I really do chalk that up to prayer. That's, that's great, and I'm just happy for you that, that it worked out like that. You know, were you intimidated at all, Mike, to write a book about St. Joseph? And what I mean by that is, as others have pointed out, he's completely silent in Scripture. So this um, you know, central character in the narrative of God's salvific plan, and yet says nothing. When you sat down to write the book— um, how did it feel to say, like, I'm going to write this this book about someone who we actually have none of his recorded words? <laughs> well, that is a challenge, and I, and I bring that out from the beginning of the book. It's always seemed kind of crazy to me that we have these enormous volumes written about about St. Joseph when he, he said nothing on the record, and we have a whole field of theology uh, dedicated to parsing his actions, essentially. Um, it's called Josephology, and, um, and it, seems, it seems a little absurd, uh, but, but hey, we keep doing it, and... Um, and you know, as I get older, it seems uh, it seems like it's it's more and more an urgent need. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a provider. I'm a protector. I do all those things that um that that he did, uh, or at least I'm supposed to do them. And and I should be trying to do them as well as he did them. He played such a unique role in in our salvation history. Uh, so so he demands our attention. Uh, and 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 I hope I. I hope I did it right this time. I, I, I said that it's um, what you have to do in writing about St. Joseph is kind of like what a painter does in chiaroscuro, where you, you, you paint the shadows in order to draw more attention to the light, uh, because, because it's, there's so much shadow involved in the story. Uh, he, he said nothing on the record. We have nothing in Scripture that's, that's, uh, that's attributed to him. Uh, we, we never see a person talking to him, or at least not a human person talking to him in the pages of Scripture. So, so there's a little bit less to go on. That was intimidating to answer your question, um, and I, I, uh, I, hope, I hope I did best, um, the best I could with the, uh, the material I had. You know, Mike, what makes me think of this is uh, that, you know, actions speak louder than words. Uh, we say that sort of stuff a lot, but then in the life of St. Joseph, we have this borne out. Um, to give a random story, one of the things that uh, one of our groups here, group of guys in Des Moines does for Lent, you know, uh, in Benedictine monasteries, the abbot choose a book for you to read. Um, we don't have abbots, so we choose books for each other, right, to do the will mm-hmm. of another. So I went to go buy the book that I chose for someone. But, of course, uh, I bought another book, because that's how I waste money, and I bought uh, The Recolta of Indulgences, like the book around the 1950 that is like all the old indulgence prayers. And so I flipped to St. Joseph, because I'm like, hey, we're going to talk about St. Joseph. And for a guy who said nothing, there is an entire section of this massive book 
that's just about prayers to St. Joseph or for St. Joseph, and most of them are deeply narratival prayers, right? Oh, Joseph, <laughs> when you did blank, right? Yes. And yes. you start to think about this, uh, that actions obviously speak louder than words, because when we think, oh, well, I, you know, who are we going to pray to? Of course, you know, obviously Jesus, and then Mary takes up uh, this big role, St. John the Baptist. But St. Joseph is right there, even the sort of traditional prayer life of the Church, because although he's not, like you said, words that we're going to use that he said, by his actions, we know that he's exactly the sort of person that you would ask uh, prayers of. That's right. And, and the, the gospel narratives give us the actions, but they compress them so much. So what I tried to do in the book is give some of the cultural uh, and historical background to those actions. Uh, so, for example, uh, when, when we talk about him as a worker, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a carpenter, a craftsman, living in the first century B.C.? Um, what were uh, what were the conditions that these these men worked under, and and uh, and what kind of jobs did they do? What kind of tools did they use? I tried to explore all of those things and bring them out for people, so they can they could they they could have an imaginative entry into the scenes of the gospel. Again, the gospels don't give us a lot of detail. Uh, you know, they they assume an awful lot. So I try to get into those assumptions, you know, what's there behind the text. Same thing goes for, for the, the flight into Egypt. Why did, they, why did the Holy Family choose Egypt, of all places? Why not go to, um, to Babylon, for example, which is closer, and where they, they probably still had family with whom they kept some contact? And there were Jews there as well. So I tried to get into the reasons why you would choose Egypt, and... Um, and, 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 uh, and, and 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 get that out of out of the other historical sources from that period. So I I hope I made those scenes from the Gospels, even though they're compressed and silent uh, in, in in terms of Joseph's uh, opinions or his uh, his thoughts. Um, I, I hope I made them a little bit more vivid for people. Mike, one of the most fascinating ways about um, how you structure the book is the contrast between Saint Joseph, really as an icon of of fatherhood. And, and and of being a great husband with, of course, Herod and um, not th- so much a great husband and father. <laughs> but <laughs> it turns out, you know, f- for me that was fascinating because of of course I'm familiar with the gospel stories and you do have this kind of stereotype of Herod in your mind. But you really get into some of the nitty gritty details of his life and how this set up um, his uh, his his rage and his really murderous rage when he hears news of perhaps another king in the region. Could you tell our listeners some about what you discovered about Herod in your research and how this really stands out in relation to Joseph? I I found him fascinating the more I researched him, because he was a genius in so many ways. He was a a singular character in ancient history. Uh, he, he, um, He was known as Herod the Great even in his own lifetime. And he did so much to kind of put the Holy Land on the map. <laughs> uh, he, uh, he, he arrived as king. He, he was not particularly accepted or respected by the people there because they didn't consider him a real Jew. You know, he was, he was a convert, probably, to Judaism, and he, he, um, he performed the law, uh, at least uh, in terms of external observance, uh, but, but he, um, he was suspect. He was a foreigner. The, 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 people, the people just never warmed to him, and that drove him crazy. 
he became jealous of their affections. He became suspicious of 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 them. He he thought that they were they 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 weren't accepting him. They would be out to get him. They were they wanted his overthrow because they wanted a real Jew on the throne. But but Herod really earned a name for himself in two ways. One is international diplomacy, and the other is um, is is through um, is through building. He was one of the great architects and builders of of antiquity. He became known for this all throughout the Mediterranean uh, because because of the things that he built there in um in in the Holy Land, and and they were magnificent in their scope. They were really intimidating, imposing structures. You know, he he built new harbors. He put he he built amphitheaters and and uh, theaters and uh, great public squares in Antioch. He sponsored the, a boulevard that became the model for all city planning afterwards. You know, for centuries, people looked back to Herod, and the people in the in the other lands of the Mediterranean often would job things out to Herod. They would ask for for Herod's builders to come to their land and make these magnificent structures. You know, so that's one way he really put himself on the map. The other way uh, was through diplomacy, and he was a guy who could deal with Cleopatra, uh, Augustus, Mark Antony, all of the great figures of that time, and get what he wanted. This guy from a backwater getting what he wanted from the great powers of the world. This was pretty impressive. It was pretty intimidating. I guess there was a third way that he really made a name for himself, and that was by murder. Hmm. He was really good at that. He yeah. was really good at massacres. Uh, his, his victims included his own sons, uh, one of his wives, his most beloved wife, his mother-in-law, all of, all of these, um, these people who were close to him, but also hundreds of his military officers and hundreds of priests in Jerusalem because they dared to defy him. They dared even to dissent in their opinions from what he might believe. So Herod really did uh, impose himself upon his people and tried to get his will done uh, by intimidating them. And he did this through those imposing structures, the great buildings, but also through murders. Um, he is a fascinating figure, and, uh, and what we see of him in St. Matthew's Gospel, really rings true what, what we know of him um, from other historical sources. Yeah, I'm thinking of if he had like a LinkedIn profile and he's like, lists his skills and diplomacy, architecture, murder. I mean, those are, <laughs> that's going to get you like, I don't know what hits LinkedIn will think you're good at. I'm actually kind of worried what LinkedIn, like jobs you'd be good at. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I could just see the interviewer going down the page and sees the architectural <laughs> background. Good, good. good. Oh, yep. murder, yep. yeah. Uh, hmm, well, hmm. So <laughs> the, the point being that you're getting, and I think that it's that, that is underneath all this is, Whatever Joseph is not is jealous. Also not murderous, but we kind of knew that. But uh, I think the more important one, right, is Herod has all of this jealousy, uh, and Joseph lacks jealousy so much that he doesn't even seem to complain that his words don't appear on the page. I mean, I know no one asked, quote-unquote, but that sort of um, way that we're making that comparison uh, starts to be show that the, the, the pregnancy of his silence compared to Herod, and also thinking, you know, this shows about the common good, thinking about this in terms of what we mean when we talk about governance or rule or dominion, right? So whether it's of Mm -hmm. a family or of a nation, um, quite the contrast to keep in mind. Yes, yes. Uh, You know, Herod is almost um, uh, a parody 
of of what a king should be you know it's and 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 he fulfills the people's expectations of what a king should be and and yet we have the true king there in his presence and he's the opposite of everything that 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 Harris Herod strives to do you know he's he's weak he's a baby he's he's uh he's insignificant in terms of his his accomplishments um and uh and he's he's living out in the middle of nowhere and then he flees to to some place where he'll be even more obscure um uh, Herod Herod does everything um, to be seen and to impose his will, to impose his power, whereas um, the true king uh, rules by love and invites others to love him. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting contrast. Mike, just a little tidbit that jumped out to me from the book, and I, I never thought of it this way before, but when I think of the Feast of the Holy Innocents, I guess when I, when I close my eyes and reflect on that day, what comes to mind is the death of, you know, like hundreds and thousands of children. Uh, you point out in the book, and this makes it no less um, tragic and just bracing, but this probably was maybe, what do you say, like 30 or so children, if you like run the numbers uh, population-wise. And so Herod may have thought he had a real chance, so to speak, to to catch the child who these prophecies had been made about. Yes, yeah, sure. You know, he um it it probably was just a handful of children and that's why we don't find it it listed in the other sources. Um Philo or I'm sorry, Josephus mentions Herod's massacres, a couple of them, but those are massacres in the hundreds. Yeah. And they're a very prominent people. I suspect that uh that that the murder of 30 children didn't make people blink, uh, you know, people who were accustomed to living under Herod, uh, because because he was so well known for this kind of murder. Uh, if you're going to, to catalog them, that will be low down on the list. But step, stepping back a little bit earlier in the story, uh, there's this fascinating tradition around when Joseph hears the news of um, Our Lady's conception. And mm-hmm. uh, I know for myself, just growing up and hearing that story, my mind automatically goes to well, he's, you know, he's maybe concerned that she was unfaithful and, you know, embarrassed about the turn of events. And so when sacred scripture talks about him, you know, I think putting her away quietly, he's sort of trying to remove the situation. But uh, could could you talk, we, we've got about five minutes before the break, but there's, there's alternative traditions. And like some of the great theologians have said, what was going through Joseph's mind in that moment was maybe different than what we would assume on the surface. Well, that's right. What you describe there, there, there are three theories usually associated with with Joseph's thoughts at this time. We don't know his thoughts, but the saints have speculated down the centuries. And what you described, um, uh, you know, what you grew up with was the suspicion theory. You know that he was he was suspicious of of Mary uh, and thought, well, maybe something something has happened. Maybe she has sinned in this way. Um, uh, that's held by by some of the ancients. Um, the second theory is the perplexity theory, and that is that he was just puzzled by it. He knew that his his uh, his intended that that Mary was 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 incapable of this kind of thing. That she she would not do that sort of thing. But there he was. He was faced with this situation. He could not make sense of it, and so he 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 just made the decision to to divorce. Um, the third theory is the reverence theory, uh, and that's the one I find most persuasive and that a number of the saints have found persuasive. And that is that, um, that he was so awestruck by this 
that he had a sense of what was going on here, and he knew, uh, St. Matthew seems to indicate, that he knew the Holy Spirit's involvement from the very beginning. And he did not consider himself worthy of anything like this. We see reactions like this elsewhere in the Gospel. St. Peter encounters our Lord, and he says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. You know, I, I, I just can't, can't deal with this. I can't be here. So I suspect that that was... What's, what was going on in St. Joseph's mind at the time. Uh, the reverence with perhaps a dash of perplexity as well, that he just could not understand this. He knew it was beyond him, and he knew that he was not worthy. Yeah, I, I think that coming up with Lent, that that might be even that sort of very short passage that we often, you know, maybe just brush aside, might be worthy to think about in terms of how St. Joseph can guide our Lenten passage, because in some ways, Lent is 40 days of saying, well, we're not worthy of this, Lord. You know, I'm a sinful man. But then exactly that what happens in Easter is, oh, actually, not only is this going down, but uh, for the rest of your life and the foreseeable eternity. <laughs> so uh, th- this idea that, um, and I, I, we have one minute left, so I'm, I'm speculating here, but like when I when I get to talk sometimes with Protestant family members and they go, well, why would you do Lent when Jesus himself has decided to choose you, right? He died for your sins. He's risen from the dead. Why would you have this time of Lent? And I think that it's important to have this sort of um, mindset that Joseph, who was a much better man than any of us were, to say that even if I did everything right, this great benefit is really uh, beyond me. And Lent is a practice of being honest about that so that when we are then embraced, uh, as it were, in Easter and in the resurrection, that that embrace rings even more true. I'm just stealing an idea that I got from my daughter driving over here who, to my great happiness, said that she actually liked Lent into Easter better than Christmas. And uh, I was pretty impressed by that. So, um, well, you should be. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. That's well, I awesome. also told her to do it. I had a script. But at any rate, yeah, we'll talk more about my 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 parenting when we get back. This is the uncommon good. Bo Bonner, Doctor Budmar, speaking with Mike Aquilino on his new book about Saint Joseph. You'll want to stick around. So hang in there. Stick around. We'll be back right after this. <laughs> But if folks want to make sure to uh, stay in tune with what Iowa Catholic Radio is doing, it's easy to do so. They can go to iowacatholicradio.com, the old school website there. They can listen live. They can donate. They can sign up for uh, emails. Those things still exist in case the kids didn't know that. Uh, All sorts of ways to be a part of Iowa Catholic Radio on the website. You can also go to facebook.com where you can look up Iowa Catholic Radio befriend us, and then you will get Iowa Catholic Radio posts, um, you know, intermixed with whatever, you know, thousands of uh, advertisements they're giving you. Currently, they think I want boots and hats. Okay. Yeah, so, but there's Iowa Catholic Radio stuff in there, too, so it evens out. And finally, if you go to Twitter, oh, not finally, you can go to Twitter, do at IA Catholic Radio, follow our tweets, and then you can also download the Iowa Catholic Radio app and then listen live, donate all sorts of cool stuff where you get data. This is The Uncommon Good, and we'll be back right after this. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and John Leonetti in the Morning is provided by Blessman International. Blessman International partners with volunteers and donors to provide sustainable programs for children in South Africa by leading a 12-day, all-inclusive experience sharing the heart of Christ with vulnerable children in South Africa. Teams are forming to do something significant in an African child's life. Learn more at blessmaninternational.org. 
That's blessmaninternational.org. Thank you, Blessman International, for your support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Thank you, Big Red Q Quick Print, for underwriting the sports report. Family-owned and operated since 1980, Big Red Q Quick Print is a full-service print shop ready to help you with all your printing needs with speed and accuracy. Forms, manuals, brochures, letterhead, envelopes, business cards, custom invitations, design, and bindery. Big Red Q Quick Print, located across from Merle Hay Mall. Online at BigRedQ-DesMoines.com. Big Red Q Quick Print. We make printing easy. Thank you, Skeffington's Formal Wear, for sponsoring Dowling Catholic High School football. In business since 1951, Skeffington's Formal Wear offers quality service, style, and selection, providing tuxedos, suits, and casual groom attire for weddings, proms, and any other special occasion. Skeffington's Formal Wear, with convenient locations in Des Moines, West Des Moines, Davenport, Coralville, and Ankeny. All locations are family-owned and operated by members in their respective communities, fitting you for life celebrations, online at skeffingtons.com. Here's your forecast on Iowa Catholic Radio. Cold again today. We won't make it out of the teens. Our high this afternoon about 15 with cloudy skies and a few snow showers will be possible. Not much accumulation. Single digits and cloudy overnight and then we're in the upper teens tomorrow and we'll stay cloudy. We'll get some sunshine back on Friday, but it won't warm us up very much. Our high around 20, then back up to about 30 by Saturday. I'm meteorologist Steve Hamilton on Iowa Catholic Radio. The Uncommon Good, Bob Bonner, Dr. Bud Marr, back with you this chilly Wednesday. Although we were just joking, we just heard from the weather person that it's getting up to 15 today. And Bud, compared to what's been going on, 15 is like Miami. I will take it. And then, uh, and then uh, uh, it's supposed to be like 30 or 35 uh, this weekend, which is basically like living at the equator. So, Mike, uh, before Bud reintroduced you on the show, what's it like out there in, in Pittsburgh? Are you guys as frigid as we are over here in the middle of the country? Pretty much. That's not often true. You know, you guys usually have a, a, a few degrees down on us, but I think I think we're roughly equivalent right now. The three rivers are not flowing too much. <laughs> no. Well, but if you don't mind uh, introducing, uh, reintroducing uh, our guest to the yeah, show. Yeah, folks, we've had on, on as a guest on the show today, Mike Aquilina, like Bo said, an uncommon good all-star. He's written a lot, but I really encourage you to check out his most recent offering, St. Joseph and His World. You can get it at the, the big stores, but I encourage you to go directly, if you can, to scepterpublishers.org, uh, uh, S-C-E-P-T-E-R. They'll have it. And also... If you stop in at Divine Treasures here in Des Moines, um, I'd encourage you to ask them if they could stock it as well. It's a great Linton reading, uh, so congrats on the book again, Mike. Oh, thank you. Um, so uh, Bo was mentioning the frigid temperatures, and this Sunday I would like to think that maybe St. Joseph was interceding for me or my guardian angel was looking out, but it was especially frigid, and the family was moving from um, – Omaha to Des Moines. I stopped for gas in Omaha and my gas canister was completely frozen shut. So we had to turn around and use a hairdryer that I borrowed from the in-laws to unmelt that ice. So that's my fatherly contribution this week. That's right. I was going to say like, you know, one, one option for the show is we could just spend the next 20 minutes like criticizing our 
uh, fatherhood styles compared to St. Joseph, but I mean, it's, that's, that's Lent and penance, but I don't know if it's good radio, bud. So how about you? Like, <laughs> choose a better question. No, no, that's, yeah, no question there. But men- mentioning angels, um, Mike, there is this fascinating connection between St. Joseph and the angels. And for, for one thing, like what jumps out to you from scripture is that angels have a way of communicating to St. Joseph. So with the most important messages in his life, he, they were mediated by these heavenly messengers. But there's also, Mike, it sounds like a whole mystical theology about how St. Joseph almost takes on angelic traits. And if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but there's the, there's a tradition actually that he maybe wasn't given a guardian angel because he in some ways served like a sort of angelic role on earth. Uh, well, well, yeah, that that's something that developed later on. But the the fascinating thing about Saint Joseph is, again, as as I said before, we don't see him talking to anybody. We don't find anybody talking to him except for angels. Three times, perhaps four times, in the Gospel of Matthew, we have we have an angel appearing to him, and and uh, and and advising him, counseling him, getting him out of jams, telling him what to do next. And and we treat this as extraordinary because most of us just don't don't have that kind of contact with angels. But if we look back at the the other documents from that period, we see that devotion to the holy angels was was pretty intense and and pretty pervasive in the Judaism of the time. It's there. It's shot through uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, for example. There there's a, a devotion to the angels and and an expectation that they will play an active role in the lives of pious people here on earth. And in St. Joseph, we have someone who's a just man, a righteous man, a pious man, and he has this devotion to angels. I think that that's supposed to be instructive for us. He teaches us to be what later theologians called the angelic man, (laughs) because of his contact with the angels, but also because he fulfilled so many of the roles of the angels. So the debate you mentioned comes much later in history. It's mostly from the 15th century forward, and, it, and it's a debate over whether Jesus had a guardian angel, because Jesus himself revealed that all of us do. All of us who are, who are born here on earth have guardian angels who, who, uh, who, who gaze upon our Father in heaven, but also, you know, light and guard us here and rule and guide us. Um, so, uh, so, so what about Jesus? Well, a number of these theologians put forth the opinion that Jesus did not have a guardian angel, but that role was fulfilled by St. Joseph, who was the guardian of the Redeemer, the guardian of the Holy Family, and, uh, and, and, and the guide of them. Uh, and, and, and one theologian in particular, Hieronimo uh, Gracian, um, writing, uh, he was actually St. Teresa of Avila's spiritual director, he wrote much about St. Joseph back then in the 1500s, and he... Um, he actually went through all of the ranks of, of, of spiritual beings, you know, from the cherubim and seraphim on down <laughs> through the angels and archangels, and he showed how St. Joseph, in his virtues, excelled each and every one of the ranks of angels. Um, so, uh, so, so that there is this tradition of Joseph as as the king of angels, as Mary is the queen of angels, uh, and and excelling all of them um, by God's grace in His virtue. You know, I think you're you're right. I immediately think we have. Sorry for the bad movie pun, but we have relegated angels to the outfield. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, have. sorry, sorry to make that movie. It's a little reference. too early in life. Yeah. <laughs> 
but no, I mean even more than that. They're on the bench now. That's right. That's right. They're not even in the outfield. That's right. Um, and uh, so that's why I'm really enjoying the the thought of like sort of. Um, angelic pokemon where you're like ranking them like that's awesome i, I wish more people would do that um but, but all the theolo- all the great theologians in antiquity did we have so many rankings of the angels they don't agree with one another but yeah. what we see is that this was an intense concern of theologians going back to ignatius of antioch in 107 ad mm, this was something right. that they cared very much about no no this is um and just to like back you up, and also um, I'm going to bring up the Recalta again that I just bought, just in case my wife's listening and she noticed that it was forty dollars to show <laughs> that I've already used it twice. Um, so one of the the I mean more than one prayer, like of course talks about that Saint Joseph is the guardian of uh, the Holy Virgin and of course the Christ Child, but one straight out calls him an angel and and talks particularly in in terms of the episode um, of the flight to Egypt and the return. But he's also in the um, litany, also in the Recolta, honey, that I bought. Uh, it, he's called the Terror of Demons. And, you know, this is another one where you go, well, we don't remember him, like, getting into wrestling matches with demons. But I suspect that this, um, this is precisely the sort of outworking of what we've been talking about, is that um, because of Joseph's humility, his lack of jealousy, the fact that he was sort of... Um, a guardian angel in the flesh because of who uh to whom he was given the role of father to foster father etc husband uh that he really is the terror of demons and should be invoked in that way i think he showed himself to be a victor over demons even in his own lifetime as i said earlier i believe that herod's successes that herod's kingdom was a demonic counterfeit of what the true kingdom was. Satan surely could see things lining up. For one thing, the, the prophet Daniel had said in 70 weeks of years these things would be fulfilled, right? 70 weeks of years, 490 years was just about coming, that, that period was just about coming to an end at the time of St. Joseph. So, so Satan could see that things were lining up that the true kingdom was coming, perhaps. And that was a worry, right? So what do you do? You throw up a counterfeit to distract people, to engage people, to get them on that other road, to divert them. And, and I believe that, that St. Joseph's triumph over Herod is, is a good example of his triumph over demons, because, because that's, that's what the victory represents. Uh, Herod may have had these fallen angels on his side, but St. Joseph had all the powers of heaven on his side, and he was victorious in spite of uh, the, the craziest challenges you can imagine. I mean, uh, imagine the most powerful forces in the world arrayed against your child, and you have to protect that child and expedite that child's way out of the country while these people are pursuing you. This is a scary thought, that all of these powers uh, on earth and in hell are arrayed against you, and yet Joseph triumphed, Joseph prevailed. So yes, he's the terror of demons. He was back then, when he, had, when he was walking the earth in his flesh, he's still that today from heaven. My my favorite point about um, all of this is, I mean, I think that that's a fan. I, I've not thought about it that way. I really do think people should dwell on that. Herod sort of as a synecdoche of all demonic kingdoms. Uh, but in our show notes, Bud really sums it up uh, because he put Herod was a real nut job. <laughs> I was, I was like, I'm like, that's like a really, that's a really awesome way to <laughs> to sum it yes. up, Bud. <laughs> yes. 
And I bring that up in my book, just all of the the, 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 the crazy things about him. Um, and, you know, uh, Satan does take advantage of people's weaknesses. So if Herod had those weaknesses from early in life, he was vulnerable to the devil. He should have been protected, and he wasn't. On the other hand, uh, you know, engaging with the devil will make you crazy. Sin will make you crazy. It'll it'll weaken your will and darken your intellect, and we see all of those things coming to, an, to a head as Herod ages, and especially toward the end of his life when our Lord was born, and, our, and, and he directed all of that murderous rage and nutjob craziness at Jesus. Yeah, I love that idea of St. Joseph as terror of demons, as guardian for the Holy Family. Another facet of his life that you bring out really well, Mike, is St. Joseph the Worker. And of course, in the liturgical calendar, we have a whole day dedicated to that. But um, again, just <laughs> another piece of this that, that you shone a light on that I hadn't really considered before is the difference between the ways that um, Israelite culture thought about uh, work and craftsmanship in contrast to Greco-Roman cultures. And of course, all of these are different from our own, but there was a way that um, God's people thought about these matters that really stood out. And this informs really an important part of Joseph's voca- vocation as you know, it's, it's really mind boggling, but training up um, the Christ child in, in a certain sort of craft um, and, and the labor that he did alongside our Lord. Oh yes, yes. Uh, it, it, that is so different when you when you look at um, the the culture of Israel compared to all of the a- other ancient cultures. And I and I catalog this uh, pretty extensively in the book, where if you look at the the great writers among the Greeks and the Romans and the great thinkers uh, like Aristotle and uh, and Herodotus, when they talk about labor, they do so with contempt. Uh, they believed in democracy in Athens, for example, but they did not think that people who worked with their hands should have a vote, that they weren't really human, they weren't fully human. The fully human people were those who had money and leisure. You know, that leisure was the thing, and it was, it was really a mistaken view of leisure as well. It just meant nothing to do, <laughs> which is not the same thing as the Christian idea of leisure or the Jewish idea of leisure. If you read the Old Testament, on the other hand, you see that so many of the heroes worked with their hands. You know, they were they were uh, they, they were sailors like Noah, or they were they were farmers like Jacob. Uh, they were sheep herders like David. You know, all of these people who did things for a living, and uh, and there was a certain reverence for that. Uh, there was an expectation among the rabbis that when the Messiah appeared, he would be a carpenter. And the carpenter was compared to the craftsman of the world, you know, uh, the the creator himself. So work, it's work, work with one's hands was seen as a participation in God's creation, in the creative act of the Almighty. All of these things figured into Joseph's life, and uh, and and the dignity of what he did. Uh, and yes, it is it is just mind blowing. It's amazing to think that he had to teach Jesus a craft, and there was a certain way this happened. Uh, and and so that's another thing I try to bring out in the book. Well, um, we're getting we got about. Um, let me do math. Like, this is why I'm not a craftsman. <laughs> five ish minutes, five to, to seven. Um, so, of course, it seems to me an obvious bookend that Joseph plays in salvation history is that he's really the second prominent Joseph. We have the Joseph of the Old Testament, and then we have Joseph, uh, the foster father of Jesus. And 
Joseph of the Old Testament's on my mind because uh, we have a group that's reading Genesis right now and really have just finally gotten into the point where Joseph enters the story. And I think sometimes people forget. They're like, yeah, you know, he had a snazzy coat, and then then he talked to Pharaoh. Uh, They forget that Joseph, Joseph among the sons of Jacob was really kind of one of the few glowing lights. It's no wonder that his dad thought he was very important. I'm not acting like Reuben didn't try to, like, get in there and say, hey, let's don't kill him and stuff like this. <laughs> but, I mean, immediately after the chapter where we learn that they sell Joseph into slavery, you get the whole uh, story of Dinah and, like, just, I mean, the, the whole life of what goes on in Genesis is quite a hairy ordeal. And I think people <laughs> sometimes forget this. But Joseph, in many ways, as the sort of end story of Genesis, demonstrates that, like, for all the zaniness and sin and sort of terribleness and awfulness and difficulty wrapped up in the beginning of the world and the beginning of the, the Jewish people itself, the Hebrew people, that Joseph uses all of that badness for, in the end, for a great good beyond any sort of good that could be imagined. And it seems to me that Joseph, the foster father of Jesus, is himself a sort of nexus or a node of all of these unfortunate events weighing upon not only humanity, but particularly the Jewish people in Jerusalem, that is able to use even something like the flight into Egypt, all of these things, even his death, right, as the patron of death and dying, uh, for good. And it seems to me that there's something resonant that the two poles going from Joseph of the Old Testament to Joseph of the New Testament, bringing good out of the evil that humanity uh, inflicts upon itself. And I wonder if that's part of what you see as, as Joseph completing in the great story of God's uh, economy of salvation. Yes, that, and that's beautiful, the way you said it. I, I, I couldn't have said it better. Um, but so many of the saints down through history have seen uh, the 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 Old Testament patriarch, Joseph, as a type prefiguring the New Testament Joseph. And there's so much that they have in common. You mentioned the, you know, the fact that, that they were Israel going into Egypt, right? And we see that uh, kind of uh, recapitulated in the story of, of St. Joseph in the New Testament. Uh, but also, both of them uh, were were instructed by dreams that this was an important facet of their lives. They were characterized by this, and and uh, and and it it ended up um, being uh, the way they went forward in life and the way salvation salvation history moved forward um, uh, in those in those years. So there's so much that they have in common besides their obvious name, the move into Egypt, and the dreams. Uh, so this becomes this becomes um, illustrative of the. Uh, of, of, of the pattern that we see when we read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament and the New Testament in light of the Old. Well, Mike, thank you again. This has been uh, a wonderful conversation, and it, for me, it's been just spiritually uplifting as we start Lent. That We've mentioned the book a few times, uh, St. Joseph and His World. You've also been involved with uh, a project at the St. Paul Center. Could you talk—we've um, just got a couple minutes, but about mm-hmm. uh, the work that's going on there. Yes, yes, yes. Well, we just released uh, a new video series called Parousia, and it'll be streaming for free during Lent. So if you go to stpaulcenter.com, uh, that's S-T, Paul Center, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll see the, the banners for it immediately, and you'll be able to register just by plugging in your email, and it's free. And it's a Bible study on the Mass. Uh, it will be released in installments 
throughout Lent, and it'll give people an opportunity um, to get closer to the, the biblical roots of the Mass in both the Old Testament and the New. So that typological pattern that I mentioned just a minute ago, uh, you'll, you'll be able to see how that plays out as God anticipates the institution of the Mass in the Old Testament and then fulfills it in the New and in the Church. Well, um, Michael, just here at the end, someone um, texted me listening to the show. Always good to know someone's actually listening live. But um, they made a great point, right, that all that we've said makes uh, St. Joseph sound like in some ways a, a prototypical mystic for the Church. And I think that that would be, you know, signing off here why I would recommend people read your book is uh, one thing that we need to do in Lent is when we give up um, – you know, the good things of the physical world in order to have uh, uh, a growth in our interior life. It is, that is mysticism. I know that word can be shrouded with a lot of ha-ha-ha mystery, but there's a way in which Joseph shows himself a sort of practical mystic. And uh, I guess with like 30 seconds, do you agree? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, I agree, because Lent has a purpose. It's not just about giving stuff up. It's about getting stuff, too. We give up the things of the world so we can have the things of, of heaven, not just when we die, but right now. Those delights, those spiritual delights are accessible to us this Lent. Yeah, and I, I really do think that St. Joseph is a, a paradigm of that, and I think your book is a beautiful way for people to uh, enter into that mysticism uh, uh, in the sort of practical day world. So, Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show again. We always love having you. Yep, thank you, hey, Mike. Anytime. Thanks for having me back. All right, you stay warm and uh, make sure that uh, everybody over there in Pittsburgh has enough French fries to see themselves through the cold uh, weather. <laughs> Will do. All right. God bless. This is the uncommon good. May Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, reign in our hearts, in our family, our city, our state, our nation, uh, the world, the solar system, the galaxy, the whole kit and caboodle. This is the uncommon good, and we will be back next week. But coming up on here uh, with Lent, if people are making a renewed devotion to pr- uh, the life of prayer, maybe one way they can do that is praying with us. Let the good people know when they might be able to do so. Yeah, if you're looking to structure your prayer life, a great way to do so is to join us um, praying the rosary at 5.30 in the morning, 9.30 a.m. and 9.30 p.m. We also pray the Angelus daily on air at 6 in the morning and the Divine Mercy Chaplet at 3 p.m. One other note, the rosary is available all the time on the Iowa Catholic Radio app. Yeah, the only thing we should do with the app, and I'm just brainstorming here, which is like Jimmy's already looking very worried about this. We got to make a, something where, like, if you're hungry when you're fasting, yeah. like, I don't know what we can do. We either need to make something where it's easier or harder to fast. Like, it's just us, you hear us eating stuff, so then, like, you're really earning the merit. Or I don't know what you would do to help someone while they're fasting. I thought you were going to throw out, like, a cross-marketing idea, one of these uh, door delivery food services. Right. Like, <laughs> it would be integrated with the Iowa Catholic Radio app. That's right. And everyone's like, oh, I wonder what the menu is. And it's just, like, globs of hummus. That's it. Yeah, just, we'll have to roll that out in the Easter that's season. That's right. I'm, uh, they, uh, everybody's light, eyes are lighting up in here. I think we really have a winner. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, they're shaking heads. I'm joking. Um, so, folks, <laughs> this, of course, is more than just uh, the folks you hear on air, the people shaking their heads at Bo's bad ideas, the people in uh, the offices. This is a ministry that involves you. We are able to exist because of your participation in this ministry, not only through your listening, but obviously through your prayers that we uh, covet very much so, um, your volunteering, but also uh 
materially through your ability to donate. And of course, we have our Carathon starting Monday, February 22nd. And so your support keeps everything on air. Connecting listeners to Christ. We, of course, ask you to consider maybe a $30 a month gift. This is especially important because, if I'm not mistaken, is it $97,000 of matching gifts that we have out there? Something like that. We've set a higher goal now to 200000 for the entire carathon. Right, so. because uh, we, we, had, we had to build um, a protective thing around our antennas uh, so, like, wolves wouldn't get to them. I don't know. The FCC was worried about wolves, I think. This um, is wolf weather. This so is wolf weather. So sense. they probably came down from the north and were like, you know, it tastes good. Radio towers. <laughs> I'm being told that was not correct. But the point being is we had a big outlay yeah. of expense. And so we're asking more than we um, have in prior carathons um, precisely so that we can address these issues and keep the signal going. Uh, and so just please uh, keep us in mind, iowacatholicradio.com, the Iowa Catholic Radio app. Call 515-223-1150 or text and thank you for your willingness to give and make it possible for us to continue on air. Bud, absolutely beautiful that you're in studio. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's come uh, full term around. And, uh, yeah, great, great to have you back here. Great to be back. Looking forward to uh, many more episodes. Yep. This is The Uncommon Good. We'll talk to you all next week. The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard every week on wonderful Catholic stations like this one. And anytime on podcast, just search for The Uncommon Good.